At Farmers Insurance, we know there's a crucial difference between a kick drum pedal and your car's accelerator pedal. Because we covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. I knew you'd come. It was just a matter of time. Yeah, I'm here, so what's the deal? Sting, I'm going to finish what I started in Baltimore. When I get done with you, you wish you'd never been born. <laughs> you talk too much. Get to the point. What's the deal? Sting, relax. What's your hurry? I'm going to take my time and enjoy this moment. Cut the crap. Do I have to come over there and kick your ass? Sting, you don't get it, do you, man? You don't have a clue. Look around you. This is my playground. These are my people. I'm smiling, not you. It's come down to this. You see, the deal is on the wheel. At Halloween Havoc, your worst nightmare will come true. Twelve of the toughest and most brutal matches in wrestling. That's right, that's right, brutal, brutal. You see on the wheel, there's a cage match, there's a barbed wire match, there's a death match, or there might even be a mystery match. But you see, the deal is, man, you gotta step up and spin that wheel. Once you spin it, where it stops, that's what you and I are gonna do. And what happens? Well, we both go in the ring, one man comes out. The other? <laughs> well, no. You think I'm afraid of some wheel? You think I'm afraid of you? Step out of the fog, Sting. Clear your head. You're not thinking. I'm the master of all these matches. This is no game for me. This is fun, but it's not a game. We play it on my turf and my terms. So good luck, Sting. You're gonna need it. <laughs> so what are you waiting for? Let's do it now. To be continued. Havoc 92, October 25th, live only on pay-per-view. Hit my music. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
Hello, and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich, and joining me today is the host of a variety of wrestling-related projects, including his longtime wrestling podcast, Joe vs. the World, and his wrestling video game YouTube channel, Joe Gagne's Funtime Pro Wrestling Arcade. Currently, he is the host of the wrestling trivia podcast, The Five Star Match Game, which is also part of the VOW Podcast Network. Making his debut on the show, it's the wonderful Joe Gagne. Joe, welcome, man. Oh, thank you so much. I am uh, pretty wonderful. Good to talk to a former champion on the five-star match. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Get thank you, there. thank you. <laughs> a little uh, humble brag on my part. Thank you, yes. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's great to have you on here, Joe. And uh, I, I know for a fact that you're excited to be here because a few months ago, you and I met in person for the first time at the War of the Worlds show uh, in Lowell. Uh, and we sat next to each other and watched some wrestling together, and uh, at, at one point during a lull in the show, you whipped out your phone and uh, said to me, when am I going to be on Music of the Mat and talk about this? And I looked at your phone, and there they were, all 11 tracks of WCW Slam Jam, uh, ready to be played at a moment's notice. And it was then that I knew, Joe Gagney, that Slam Jam holds a very special place in your heart. Uh, am I correct in saying that, uh, Joe? Yes. You, you probably also thought, oh my god, this guy's nuts. I'd better have <laughs> him on the show, because he lives in the same state as me. What is it about Slam Jam that you hold it in such high esteem? Uh, why, why is it that whenever you pestered me for months on end to come on the show, uh, it was over this album? I'm not judging. I'm just, I'm just curious why. Uh, I think it makes a good topic, because while well, other shows... Uh, you have done discuss the intricacies of music creation. This one is just kind of like, let's have a good laugh at the goofiness that was early 90s WCW. Because this, this will be a, a pretty silly episode, I, I imagine. Yep. And uh, it's just kind of an interesting relic. It's like, it's something you kind of heard about. You kind of thought it was an urban legend, much like their Super Nintendo video game, Super Brawl. When someone you know mentioned that, you'd be like, that, that never happened. You, you made that up. Until we realized on the internet and shared experiences that no, WCW once put out an album of music and songs to be exact which we'll get into in a bit yeah so uh this is episode 37 and as it should be obvious by this point uh, this episode is going to be about an album that came out all the way back in the year that uh, i was born 1992 oh. uh <laughs> sorry joe <laughs> that was the year that world championship wrestling released an entire album of wrestling themes and if i'm not mistaken it's the very first album to have this kind of format. Uh, you had the WWF releasing the wrestling album and Pile Driver during the 80s, during the rock and wrestling era. And those did have themes on them, but some of the songs on those albums were also novelty songs, like Vince McMahon singing Stand Back or Nikolai Volkov singing Karamia. On this album, Every single song was written and recorded to be used as a wrestling theme, which, to my knowledge, had never been done before. Uh, in fact, the first WWF album to only feature 
entrance themes was WWF Full Metal, which came out a whole four years later in 96. So uh, WCW was certainly blazing a trail here, Joe. Yeah, and what's interesting is that these are like these aren't really wrestling themes so much as songs because there are there are guitar solos here there are third verses there yeah. these songs are long you know compared to your average wrestling theme goes about you know 3 to 3 and a half minutes that's really all the time you need but these like you know the average track here goes 5 minutes it's just kind of you know the the way they approach it is just very interesting yeah very different as well mm-hmm. uh, compared to nowadays um the official name of the album is WCW Slam Jam 1 Spoiler alert, there is no Slam Jam 2. Uh, so maybe they were getting a little ahead of themselves with the title, but uh, hey, you can't fault them for being optimistic, uh, Joe, I don't think. No, they also said this was the greatest wrestling album on yeah. the stuff. So why, why come out with a number two? So who were the people behind Slam Jam? Who was spearheading this musical endeavor? Well, there are two main guys to talk about here. The first is Michael P.S. Hayes. Hayes was working for WCW at the time, and besides being a wrestler, Michael Hayes has experience as a music artist. He's written and performed his own music, he's put out albums, he's even gone on tour. Michael Hayes co-wrote all the songs on this album, and he also sings on the album as well. The other head honcho for Slam Jam is a guy named Jimmy Papa. Who is Jimmy Papa? Well, he is a drummer from Irving, Texas, and he's best known for three things. Number one is that he actually helped write and record Bad Street USA, which was the theme for the Fabulous Freebirds. Uh, Jimmy Papa's label, Grand Theft Records, put out Michael Hayes and the Freebirds music back in the day. In fact, that's the only other music that Grand Theft Records ever put out besides this album. And when Hayes went on tour, Jimmy Papa went on tour with him. So at this point, Hayes and Papa have already established a working relationship with one another. Number two is this album. Uh, Jimmy Papa arranged the music on the album. He produced the album. He co-wrote all but one of the songs. And the album, as I said, was released on his label. Actually, the album is uh, credited to Jimmy Papa and the Grand Theft All-Star Band, uh, which included himself and Hayes and some other guys in it. The third thing that Jimmy Papa is known for is actually suing WWE in 2012 over ownership of the songs and the loss of royalties because of it. Uh, Apparently, when WWE bought WCW back in 01, they also bought the music library. Uh, but they did not realize that Jimmy Papa still co-owned part of the songs. So because of the lawsuit, WWE immediately scrubbed out the Slam Jam music from their video library. And then in 2014, the lawsuit was settled, and the music was you know added back in. Um, so royalties are very important, Joe. Can't deny that. I hope they made the jury listen to the whole album like the CM Punk <laughs> Cole Cabana podcast. So that's pretty much what you need to know for the backstory of WCW Slam Jam. And before we get into the music here, I want to bring something up. You brought this up uh, earlier, Joe, how different these songs are. I think when you listen to a wrestling album that came out over 25 years ago at this point, you can really see the difference 
in terms of how the songs were written. I think back in the day, wrestling themes were a lot more explicit when it came to describing the wrestler that they belonged to. Often they name-checked the wrestler or their nickname, or they talked about the wrestler's specific uh, physical or character traits in a very overt manner. You look at the Honky Tonk Man's theme. You look at the Million Dollar Man's theme. You look at Dusty Rhodes' Common Man Boogie theme. You look at Hard Times, the Big Boss Man theme. It's all laid out there in the lyrics in great detail. This album is a perfect example of this style of writing. Every song on the album tells you the name of the wrestler, their moves, their personality, their their backstory, their motivations, their dispositions. You can tell unmistakably which wrestler each theme belongs to because they're chock full of specific wrestling references. Compare that to today, and I think the focus has greatly shifted. Now it's not so much about blatantly referencing uh, the wrestlers or wrestling in, in the lyrics. It's more about capturing the spirit of the wrestler in the music. And if the song has lyrics... It'll be lyrics that, while they're not specific, they still manage to represent the wrestler in a more thematic way. Alistair Black's theme does not reference Alistair Black or Black Mass, but it still fits Alistair Black. Johnny Gargano's theme does not reference the Gargano Escape or Cleveland, Ohio, but it still feels like a Johnny Gargano song. And that's just a way that wrestling music has evolved over the years. Mm. Uh, so listening to the songs on Slam Jam, part of me did want to roll my eyes at how on the nose and cheesy the lyrics are. Which, don't get me wrong, these lyrics are so cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> but I also have to remind myself that context is key. And in the context of 1992... These lyrics and this writing style fit right in. And eventually, I, I did learn to just accept the cheese. For the most part, for the most part. Uh, some of the cheese was a bit too sharp for my taste. But uh, we'll get to that in a little bit, uh, Joe. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> you won't mistake these theme songs for, for anyone else's, as we'll get into. Okay, Joe, are you ready to dive into the wonderful world of WCW Slam Jam? Sure am. Alright, we'll start with track number one obviously. This track is for Ron Simmons, the first black WCW world champion and a former member of the tag team Doom. And you know, Joe, I think we can agree on this. In life, there are four things that you do not do. You don't step on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger. And you don't step to Ron.
in the ring, jump, and let's thump. A couple of blows, and I'ma put you on your rump. Chop, chop, bam, then a left, right, left, and a kick, and a pin to the one, two, three, then it's over with. So give that bell a whack, and I'ma put this man on his back, cause when I'm in the ring, I'm a wrestling nightmare, straight from Georgia. And if you don't think I'm hard, you ought to put on your trunks, let's go to war. Straight up knuckle, I'ma slam your head against the turnbuckle. A one-man army ready to fight. Slamming bodies left and right, so keep talking all that junk. But bring it to the circle, and I'ma put your body on the mat, punk. Cause I don't really think you want none. You made a mistake when you stuck to run. Straight from Georgia. So you press play, and the first thing that you hear is some slick guitar, some groovy bass, some slapping percussion. And what I want to do with each song here as we go along is to see if the music reflects the wrestler and if the genre and style of the song fits the wrestler. Here we have some suave, groovy funk rock type stuff. No crazy guitars or drums that we'll see later on. Nothing too intense or energetic. But at the same time, it's not too dour either. It's a great mix of liveliness and fun, but there's also a serious edge to it as well. And I think that's perfect for this era of Ron Simmons, who had the headband and the colorful pants, and he would wave his arms around during his entrance. But during the match, he would just kick your ass. APA-era Farouk Ron Simmons obviously would not work with this song. He was much more gruff and rough and tumble by that point, and the APA theme song, you know, da 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 that obviously fit that version of Ron Simmons better. But when it comes to early 90s Ron Simmons, this style of music is definitely the way to go. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting the way they, you know, WCW, despite being a southern wrestling company, always pursued rap and hip-hop earlier than the WWF ever did. They had the PN News character, they had this song, they had the famous Wrestle War uh rap in uh 1990 and wwf didn't really get into it till their own slam jam song on uh the wrestlemania the album in 1993 and also uh, men on a mission when they first broached it so it's kind of i mean it's interesting the way you know the the writers here like well how do we come up with a rap song let's make it more rap heavy there so you have a lot of newly guitar playing and then someone rapping, as we said, is clearly about Ron Simmons. It mentions Florida State, him being an All-American, Bobby Bowden, his coach, and a nice shout-out to his wife at the end there. So I think it does tie together nicely. I like the little um, the little high pitch, like, doo-doo-doo. I think that uh, gives a nice little edge there and a little, you know, it kind of, you know, I think it, you're right. It does suit Ron around this time frame. Yeah, and I think when it comes to the lyrics as well, that combination of being fun but also being serious works because... They're about Ron Simmons beating guys up in wrestling and being tough and hard, which is serious business, but they're also not too intense either. You know, get in the ring, chump, and let's thump. A couple of blows, and I'm going to put you on your bump. Chop, chop, bam, then a left, right, left, then a kick and a pin to the one, two, three, then it's over with. Obviously, those are not amazing hip-hop lyrics, you know. Tupac and Biggie, it ain't. But again, look at the context. This isn't 1997 ECW or 2003 ROH or the Attitude Era. This is 1992 WCW. It's an old school Southern-based wrestling company 
hardcore, profane, in-your-face, gangsta hip-hop is not going to fly here. And it won't fit here, either. Uh, So the best you can do is to write safe, family-friendly, easy-to-listen-to hip-hop that still gets the point across that Ron Simmons is a tough dude who's going to slam all the chumps on their bump, but it also doesn't alienate the white people in the audience. (laughs) And I think, all things considered, they do a good job of that. Yeah, this isn't, I mean, this is pretty basic rapping, but, you know, the art form in 1992 was still coming into its own, so it's not, you know, embarrassing uh, in retrospect. It is what it is. It's fine. It it certainly gets this point across. Yeah, for a Michael Hayes hip-hop song, it could be worse. Yeah. (laughs) It could be infinitely worse, worse, I'm sure. (laughs) Track number two, and it's a song for WCW's big, homegrown babyface star, a hero to all of his fans. He's been WCW World Champion, WCW US Champion, WCW Tag Champion, and the winner of the prestigious 1992 King of Cable Tournament. I'm talking about the man they call Vade. Oh, wait, wrong company. Wrong, <laughs> wrong company. Sorry about that. Of course, I'm talking about a man called Sting. <laughs> Joe, when I think of classic 90s surfer sting, I, I think of the bright colors, the face paint, the bleach blonde hair, the muscles, the high energy, Venice Beach, just a, a, a spunky go-getter California babyface. And with Man Called Sting, I think the music of the song echoes a lot of that personality. It's this peppy, rah-rah, let's get together and cheer for the good guy hard rock song. That is in your face and high energy, like Sting. The main riff actually reminds me of Heavens on Fire by Kiss, which was one of their big, you know, 80s pump-up songs. And the lead singer is this feisty female, this Lita Ford type, who really gives the vocals some gusto to go along with the intensity of the music. And it just feels like Southern California, the song. So I think those aspects of the song work quite well with this era of Sting, Joe. Oh, I just thought a guy saying this, just a high-pitched guy. That's kind of how <laughs> it was in hard rock in the late 80s, early 90s. But uh, yeah, I think, I mean, 
if you're a longtime WCW fan, you've heard the song about 10,000 times because Sting stayed in the company and used this song for so long before his uh, turn into the, the, the crow. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's suitably high energy. It's, you know, it gets you pumped up. It suits Sting. Um, my favorite line is when he declares Sting is nobody's fool, even though Sting got turned on like 800 times. Yeah, by the horseman. He's, he's yeah, frequently yeah. a fool, I have to say. It's also, uh, but uh, yeah, that little cowbell at the beginning, just, uh, you can't help but get amped for this. You know, I mean, I like how I mentioned Sting as a two-time champ, which made it outdated pretty quickly. I don't Yeah, know exactly. If, uh, yeah. I was wondering, I was wondering if they would have to update the song as time went on. I don't just know. To, I haven't, just I, keep overdubbing it. <laughs> it's tough to find a, a later version uh, when he was a three and four-time champion, uh, see if they did so. Yeah. No, this this might be my favorite song on the album. I have to say. Really? Yeah, that might just be by. Uh, it might just be War of Attrition because I heard it a zillion times on the various syndicated shows and, and Clash of Champions and all that. I, I I know I said earlier that I would try to listen to this album with 1992 ears, but even with 1992 ears, these lyrics are are not the best. Okay. <laughs> hey, he does this. He does that. What else do you need? Oh uh, God, so lazy, so lazy. <laughs> What, what does that mean? What does that even mean? He does this, he does that. That is the laziest, vaguest lyrics ever. Oh, God. Uh, also, how about this? That's how it starts. That's not even the <laughs> end. How about this? He's a man called Sting. 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 Joe, did you know that he's a man called Sting? I do know. Because he's a man called Sting. I know it might be hard to believe that he's a man called Sting, but trust me on this. He's a man called... Oh, we get it. We get it. Jesus Christ. She says that line like 80 times in the song. Oh, God. It's so annoying, Joe. You got to fill out these five-minute run times, you know? <laughs> you need that padding. I think if there's one line that really sums up Surfer Sting, I think it's this one. And all the kids, they go wild, and all the old people start to act like a child. Notice how they don't say adults. <laughs> nope. Just kids and old people. Uh, that apparently is uh, Sting's core demographic here. Sting appeals to extremes. Yes. <laughs> the very young or the very old. Yeah, yeah. If there's anything that just screams how uncool Sting is at this time, yeah. it's that line. Kids and old people love him. <laughs> adults and teenagers, eh, not so much. There's all those jaded adults that kept him out of the Observer Hall of Fame for so many years. Exactly. Until those kids yeah. grew up and got the vote. Exactly. <laughs> up next, track number three. And Joe, things are about to get a little crazy around these parts. A little hardcore, you might say. And I don't mean Bob Holly, folks. I'm talking about the man from Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. He's a loner, Dottie. A rebel. And his name is Cactus Jack, with a theme song called Mr. Bang Bang.
him to the wind He doesn't care about himself You'd really be a fool To think he cares about someone else He's not really much A keep and action in the ring Cause broken bones on a concrete floor Are really more his thing He's not We're sticking with the hard rock here, but it's not the same kind of hard rock as Man Called Sting. Man Called Sting is bright and shiny and day-glow. This hard rock is grittier and nastier, and the guitar is lower-tuned. It doesn't sound like Southern California. It sounds like the mean streets of an unforgiving city. The riff we start off with, that that down, 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 even sounds like we're descending into the bowels of some seedy building for some unsanctioned underground wrestling event. In other words, right at home for Cactus Jack, Joe. Yeah, they tried to make this seem a bit more ominous than someone like Sting's music, because Cactus Jack is a bit of a darker character here. I, I do take umbrage with the title. I don't think he was ever called Mr. Bang Bang, never mind being no, better no. known as that. No. That just seemed like the writers are like, oh, what do we call this? Uh, Mr. Bang Bang, great. We'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> That does seem. Yeah. The whole song is about him being reckless and how short a career he's going to have, and even ends with ambulance sirens, which <laughs> I thought was an interesting touch. It's funny, when I was starting the song, I thought, okay, it's just another rock song for Cactus Jack, uh, or Mick Foley in general, because he's had a lot of them over the years. Uh, Born to be Wild, Welcome to the Jungle, Symphony of Destruction, Wreck, the WWF Cactus Jack theme. There are obvious exceptions, like Ode to Freud, but for the most part, most of Foley's music has either been rock or metal. Uh, but imagine my surprise when the vocals kicked in, and I heard what sounded like Frank Zappa singing this song. Now, obviously, it's not Frank Zappa, because <laughs> as we all know, Joe, Frank Zappa was a diehard WWF fan, and he wouldn't be caught dead singing on a WCW album. So, Michael Hayes and Jimmy Papa got some Zappa sound-alike to sing this song. And I think of all the artists that I would predict would be imitated on a wrestling album, Frank Zappa would not be high on my list. I think think it's a very outside-the-box choice uh, here, Joe. Yeah, I I guess what they think, Cactus Jack's kind of a weirdo, we'll go for the stranger end of rock and roll i had not made that connection i can kind of see it now it is it is kind of odd but uh hey kudos for them for uh for thinking outside the box like you said yeah it's pretty appropriate i think because zappa is an offbeat guy jack is an offbeat guy and zappa is known for writing songs about weird unconventional characters um willie the pimp bobby brown nanook rubs it uncle remus It's a big part of his oeuvre, the story of the strange. And as the lyrics describe, Cactus Jack is a strange guy. He throws caution to the wind. He doesn't care about himself. You'd really be a fool to think he cares about someone else. He's not really much for keeping action in the ring, because broken bones on a concrete floor are really more his thing. He's not on a team or a member of a gang. He's Cactus Jack or better known as Mr. Bang Bang. Sting's theme was about being the big babyface. Ron Simmons' theme was about being the toughest guy around. 
Cactus Jack's theme is about, like, masochism, really? Which which sounds like a Zappa thing to write about, I think. Yeah. I was, I was like the line, he ain't got no family, which is funny because, you know, Mick Foley is such a family man <laughs> is going, in, in retrospect. Yeah. There's a line towards the end that I really like a lot. All the people everywhere seem to think he's crazy, but the man who came from the mean streets knows his mind ain't hazy. And I love that because it shows that there is a method to the madness. Yes, Cactus Jack is fighting on concrete and using weapons and taking these insane bumps, but he's not doing it just because he's some crazy guy who has no control of himself. He knows what he's doing, he just doesn't care. And that makes him so much more dangerous, in my opinion, because he has no sense of quitting, or fear, or doubt. He'll just do whatever it takes to win a match, no matter what. And I think that's a really nice piece of characterization on the song's part of Cactus Jack. Yeah, that's true. It's, mine probably was hazy at points, because he slammed his head on the concrete repeatedly. But uh, no, that, that is, I had not taken that reading from that. Moving on now to track number four, and we go from one unsettling wrestler, Cactus Jack, to another, Jake the Snake Roberts, a man so unsettling, so unnerving, so dangerous, that even his own theme song was afraid of him. Because Jake actually left WCW before he could even use this theme. (laughs) (laughs) But whether he used it or not, we're still going to talk about it. This is Master of the DDT. attention with this song. First of all, it's a more conventional 80s metal song, if that makes sense. Uh, Less hairspray, more ripped jeans. The band that came to my mind right away is Tesla. I hear a lot of Tesla in this song. But what caught my attention here is that, unlike Cactus Jack or Sting, we're not used to Jake Roberts having this type of music for his entrance theme, or any form of rock and roll really, because with Jake, whether it be the classic WWF theme or or Trust Me, 
We're used to him having these moody synth pieces, these kind of subdued, atmospheric, mysterious songs. Master of the DDT is not like that at all. It's a testosterone-filled, Iron Maiden t-shirt wearing, wallet chain having, cock rock, electric guitar crazy, high-pitched rock scream song. And this type of song, even though, in all honesty, I actually like this song a lot, I don't think it necessarily works for Jake. Because he's not that guy. He isn't the screamer. He's not the, the big, expressive, loud guy. Oh, yeah! Snake! <laughs> That's not him. That's not him. He's a thinker. He's methodical. He speaks softly. His energy and his aura are much more in line with those classic synth themes than a song like this. The only venue I could think of where a song like this could work for Jake is that weird, foggy, Mad Max biker nightclub that Jake was in for Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal. <laughs> yeah. Remember that movie? That little thing they did? I... Yeah. That wretched hive of scum and villainy. That's the only place where a song like that could actually fit Jake, I think. But not necessarily in any other venue. No, I think I think we're in agreement that his WWF theme, the Slither, whatever it's called, the, the famous one, is probably one of the best themes they ever did. Because it tells you all about the character without saying a word. And why they... I mean, this opens up like a Van Halen B-side. Like, I really don't understand like, what they were... Th- like, someone just wanted to play, you know, an approximation of Dawkins or something. <laughs> it's just... It's just so bizarre. Like, like, what are you thinking? And like you said, this is—I think this is the only song that never ever got used because he was gone. It's no big loss in that regard. Yeah, most of the lines in the song are very overt and straightforward when it comes to the Jake references. Uh, he says, "Trust me, but do you think that you should?" It's been said sometimes that snakes are no good. Money didn't come easily. He was the black sheep of the family. Jake the snake. Well, he slithers and slides. Jake the Snake, well, he's one of a kind. Jake the Snake, he's not like you or me. And there's no doubt, he's the master of the DDT. And I think the danger of writing wrestling themes like this in such a literal, on-the-nose manner is that you run the risk of losing a wrestler's mystique. Jake's WWF theme was great because it was an instrumental, and you didn't have to you know, hear lines telling you that he's a snake and he's got no friends. Jake already told you this with his actions and his promos and his mannerisms and his, and his aura. So I think it's not just the music that hurts Jake's aura here, but uh, some of the lyrics as well. Yeah, I mean, there's some nonsense lyrics in there when they, they just say, you know, the beginning of the end is the end of the beginning. I guess trying to capture Jake's more cryptic side, mm. but it just sounds dumb. And it also, it also mentioned he still has Damien, who was uh, murdered by Earthquake a couple of years ago. But I guess he could have renamed a snake. I don't think he had one specific snake during this, this short run. I think he rotated a couple in. So I guess one of them could be a Damien. And I'll say this. Whomever is singing this song, gold star. Because they absolutely nail it with the vocals. Especially with those like, really high notes. The Master of the DDT! Oh my god, it's, it's tremendous. And I actually feel kind of sorry for the guy, because when Jake left WCW, like I said, he left before he could use this theme. So nobody got to hear it on TV, which is a shame, because like I said, on its own, I think it's a really good song. Yeah, it's just, it's just you know, right song, wrong person. 
track number five, and it's time for Michael Hayes to spread his wings and talk about the Freebirds. This was coming. We all knew this was coming. This is the theme song for the legendary stable, the fabulous Freebirds. Michael Hayes on code lead vocals here, and this is Freebird Forever. Can't change me, no, not never. never. It's something that you just can't take from me. Oh no, I'm a free bird forever, and I'll always fly free. free. Joe, am I a, a bad person for liking this song more than I thought I would? Probably. Oh no. <laughs> no, it's. I mean, this, this goes seven minutes. That has to be the longest original wrestling song ever written. It's. It's. It's really weird because he goes into the whole history. Of the Freebirds, including Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts, who are never mentioned by name, but that had to be extremely confusing if you, uh, you know, if you were just a WCW fan in like 1992 and bought this album, you had to be very baffled by this. It's long and ponderous, but I mean, he, I mean, he clearly wants to live out his Leonard Skinner uh, aspirations, but he does it with gusto, and you yeah, know, that Freebird Forever part—that's that, pretty catchy. I, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it's very earnest and unabashed, and Michael Hayes really gets into it, and by the end of the song, I was into it too, which is what a theme song is supposed to do. You know, it it hooked me in, uh, especially that second half, when it ramped up and went all crazy with the guitar solos and such. Yeah, I did find, um, I I did find an, uh, I went through the network to find an entrance, and when he used the song, Michael Hayes actually kicked in at around the four minute mark when it starts picking up a bit. Makes sense. I Makes mean, sense, yeah. they weren't making seven-minute entrances back then, yeah. This song has Michael Hayes written all over it. Oh, yeah. Quite literally, actually, because it tells the story of the Freebirds, about how they formed with Hayes and Gordy. Then, two years later, we gained another. It was a little strange at first. Then he became like a brother. Of course, that's referring to Buddy. They left Louisiana and headed for Atlanta town. They touched it and turned it on, and then they burned it down. Next stop was Texas. They kicked down the door. That's where they met Jimmy Jam, and he became number four. It's a southern rock song, which is Michael Hayes' specialty. It's full of southern pride and saccharine as all hell. 
but again, it's very honest, and you can tell that Michael Hayes and the rest of the guys are not doing this for shits and giggles. They actually love making this kind of music. So, you know, God bless them. Yeah, no, they, they go into the history of Leonard Skinner 2 and the plane crash, which again, would probably be pretty baffling to any, any kid in 1992 at that point. But hey, that's, you know, the passion is there. I will not fault them for that. The song itself is like a Leonard Skinner Russian doll, where mm-hmm. it's just layer after layer of Skinner references, because it's about the fabulous Freebirds, who were named after the song Freebird, and they also used Freebird as a theme for a time. It name-checks Skinnerd, just to like you Skinnerd addicts while you're hooked on Southern Rock. And like you said, it dedicates an entire verse to Leonard Skinnerd's plane going down. So there is just a smorgasbord of Skinnerd references here. And that's what the Freebirds were all about, really. You know, they were trying to be the Leonard Skinnerd of wrestling, the, the, the Southern pride, the Confederate flags, using Freebird as their anthem. So it all makes sense, I think, Joe. Yeah. This is thematically appropriate, unlike Jake's uh, theme. Definitely. The ending of the song did give me a nice chuckle, though, because it ends with this epic Freebird-like guitar solo, everything's going nuts, and the volume starts to lower, so you think, okay, it's a fade-out ending. But then they start to do the big climax, and the music quickly fades back up. Like, there were mixed messages on how the song was going to end, So the engineer started to fade it down, but then he realized, oh shit, they're actually ending the song, so he brought it right back up. (laughs) Just a a funny ending, I think, uh, Joe. Yeah. Up next, it's time for track number six, the theme for WCW International World Heavyweight Champion, and also WCW US Champion Ravishing Rick Rude. And what I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, out-of-shape, podcast-listening sweat hogs to keep the noise down while I press the play button and show all these other songs what a real wrestling theme is supposed to sound like. This is Simply Ravishing. Hit the music! He's simply ravishing.
Joe, I'm going to call this one my pick for best song on the album. Hands down. Cause I actually I, think if you cleaned this song up a bit, this could have been a legitimate hit like in the early 90s. Like you would have seen this on some... It's a really good, catchy song. I think it's... I think it's too good, though. I think it's too upbeat. It doesn't really capture Rude's personality the way his, you know, his sleazy WWF song did. Look, I'm a sucker for a good choir. I'm a sucker for a kick-ass guitar solo. But I'm also a sucker for black women singing poppy dance R&B songs. Donna Summer, the Pointer Sisters, Tina Turner, doesn't matter. You give me a diva singing with gusto over some 80s synths, I'm a happy camper. Here we have what sounds like a Whitney Houston sound alike, and she is boisterous and take charge, and it's all set to this peppy pop rock dance music. It's such a nice change of pace, too, from the other songs, which have all been rock-oriented or male vocal-oriented. It's catchy, it's sassy, it fits Rick Rude like a glove, and it's no doubt my favorite song on the album. And it has one of my favorite stingers in wrestling, too. He's simply ravishing. Ow! Love it so much. Yeah, no, it's a great song to, like, if you have no idea who we're talking about, go listen to this song. It's a really good, ca- it's a really good catchy song. Like, I'm just surprised how much I like it. Just wish it was a little grimier, I guess, for, uh, for Rick Rude. Here is why I think this song works for Rude. Rick Rude's main personality is his vanity, his ego, his supreme confidence that he is the most gorgeous man walking the planet. So you want a theme song that essentially does the same thing. You want the song to be about vanity. You want it to be about looks. You want it to be uber confident. And this song is confident as all hell. The vocals are never wavering. They're powerful. They're direct. They take center stage. And the lyrics are all about Rick Rude being just a beautiful man who all the ladies want to be with. He's simply ravishing. He's happening. He knows that he's cool. All the girls go crazy. They don't know what to do. He'll steal your girl, break your heart, and leave you a fool. He's simply ravishing, dazzling, ravishing Rude. Pretty much all of the lyrics in the song are about the attractiveness of Rick Rude and how ravishing and, and dazzling he is. So I think it works really well. If we presume Rude uh, wrote the lyrics, then yes, I think it, it, that actually would work great for him. And I think there's something also to the fact that the lead singer is female, because mm. Rude's whole shtick is that he's this Adonis of a man and women are fawning all over him. Well, what better way to help reinforce that notion than to have a woman sing about how hunky he is. I think it's a really smart play on, on Papa and Hayes' part to get to get a woman to sing this song. And plus, at this point in time in 92, having a woman sing a male wrestler's theme song is quite novel. And it helps establish this song as being unique among others. Um, I mean, you also have Sting's song, of course, and Sherry Martell sang the first version of Sexy Boy. But those songs are still outliers, I think. I mean, even nowadays, there aren't that many examples of women singing male wrestlers' themes. There's Minoru Suzuki, there's Gargano, there's Shane Strickland with Shaka Khan. But it's hard to really think off the top of my head of any others. Yeah, that's true. Especially in 92. Uh, Maybe Dusty Rhodes' WWF theme. Oh, that's true. Yeah, 
But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's an outlier. It does help it stand out against all the the dude rock that's uh, on the rest of the album. The one criticism I do have with this song is the lack of lyrics because it's basically the one verse and then the chorus, which is repeated mm. like eight times throughout the song, which I love the chorus, but I would have liked to have heard a few more verses put in there. Yeah, normally that's not a problem because wrestling themes, you don't need a lot of output for them, but everything else on the album has like three or four verses, so could have gone the extra mile here. Maybe they spend too much time on Freebird Forever. I don't know. <laughs> could be. It's time for track number seven, and Joe, this has been a wild episode, to say the least. But maybe even more wild, the wild man, Mark Morrow, ladies and gentlemen. Or as he was known in WCW, Johnny B. Bad. Johnny B. Bad, a three-time WCW TV champion. And his theme song doesn't need a fancy-schmancy title because his name alone is good enough. So this is Johnny B. Bad's theme, and it's just called Johnny B. Bad. It's Marvin, your cousin Marvin Berry. You know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this. You know, before I even pressed play, I looked at the title, Johnny B. Bad, and I thought, okay, if this doesn't rip off Johnny B. Good in some way, I'm going to be very disappointed. But Hayes and Papa did not disappoint me, Joe. Now, it's not a full ripoff. It starts with the and then it veers off into a more general 1950s rock and roll pastiche. But it's just enough to satisfy my expectations, Joe. Yeah, they went for kind of an old school rock and roll theme, which for someone named after or based on a Chuck Berry song and who looks like Little Richard, I think that's totally understandable here. It's a little too slick to really have that old kind of rock and roll feel to it, but it's very high energy. It certainly gets the job done. Even if it does rhyme bad with sad at one point. <laughs> yeah. Here's the curious thing about this song to me. Uh, Johnny B. Bad, the whole gimmick was that he was a Little Richard lookalike with a boxing background. And he used a left hook in his matches. 
and they reference this stuff in his song. Here comes Johnny B. Bad, and you don't want to make him mad. He's as pretty as his picture. He looks just like Little Richard. Don't be fooled by his looks. He's got a mean left hook. My confusion is that Johnny B. Bad is supposed to look like Little Richard and be flamboyant and bombastic and colorful like Little Richard. But the singer sounds like Jerry Lee Lewis. You notice this? Mm. He's got that, that, that Jerry Lee rockabilly swagger to him. Why? Why not get a singer who sounds like Little Richard? I don't get it. Why not get Little Richard? I'm sure he wasn't that busy yeah. in 1991. <laughs> it, 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 would, it would still be a 50s rock and roll song, and the lyrics would likely still be the same. You know, there'd be a few more woos in there, and uh, maybe a womp bop a luna ba dum boom bump Johnna be bad, a Johnna be bad. But you could have done that, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, there's, I can tell they're still going for a retro rock and roll thing, but I mean, you're going to name drop Little Richard. You may as well try to go all the way with it. Mm. I, I don't have much else to say about this song. It's not the best song on the album, but it's not the worst either. Much like Mark Merrow, actually. <laughs> he's not the best. He's not the worst. He's he's just there. Yeah, it, it worked for him. I don't even remember his WWF theme, what that sounded like. But I remember this, so I guess that's a point in its favor. His WWF theme was the Sable theme. Wow! Okay. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Which was very fitting, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, we come now to track number eight, and this is for Dustin Rhodes, son of the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, older brother of Cody. And during his stint in early 90s WCW, Dustin had the nickname The Natural, and that just so happens to be the name of his entrance theme. So let's hear The Natural. So far, there's been a fair amount of Southern tinge on this album, Joe. First with Freebird Forever, then with Johnny B. Bad, and now The Natural. We're definitely hearing the influence of Hayes and Papa here, uh, them wild-eyed Southern boys on the album. This one is less 
southern rock and more country. It's similar to like a Toby Keith or a Garth Brooks, the solo country star. It's got that country twang, that steel guitar tone. And since Dustin Rhodes is a solo wrestler from Texas, it all lines up nicely. Yeah, it works for the character. It's a little little too laid back for me, especially at the start. I wish it had a bit, you know, it's a bit more upbeat, get you pumped up. Because uh, there have been other country-type themes, Jeff Jarrett's various themes, that were a bit more up-tempo, yeah. get you a little more excited. But I think it works for the character. Yeah, the crux of the song is easy to understand. Uh, Dustin being the son of a legendary wrestler like Dusty. Uh, it's sort of his destiny, um, or his destiny, baby, as Dusty would put it, uh, to be a legendary wrestler himself. That's why they call him the natural. Natural as can be. Yeah, they call him the natural. It just comes naturally. He's the son of a son. It's in his <laughs> DNA. And so he's following in his father's footsteps. And he's being a wrestler. And you can tell by the lyrics that Dustin is trying to both acknowledge his lineage and his dad's legacy. But at the same time, he's also getting across that he's forging his own path. Didn't have easy shoes to fill, but he had to do it his own way. He's walking out the shadow and he's blazing his own trail. You know, he looks to the future, but he won't forget the past. He's living proof the American dream still lasts. So it doesn't ignore the fact that he's Dusty's son, but at the same time, it doesn't totally focus on that either. It focuses more on it being Dustin's time and he's stepping out of the shadow and so forth. It walks that line and I think it does it uh, quite well. Yeah, I really like that um, living proof the American dream still lasts line. I think that that's a, a pretty clever line. The son of a son line is not as clever because I think that's pretty much every male can make that <laughs> claim. I know I can. Uh, I don't know about that, but um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a good thematic. I think it's interesting. They're still, you know, they they acknowledge it too because I mean he was still fairly early on in his run here too, but he was uh, very effective in WCW. And I think this theme uh, does a good job reflecting that. Yeah, it's a fun song and it is a bit weird. I think. Uh, to consider that this southern cowboy would eventually turn into Goldust. Mm. But I think that speaks to just how talented Dustin is as a performer. Um, did you see last year, Joe, when WWE did the Starcade house show and Goldust came out for his match? His music is playing and it's the Goldust Titantron and he's wearing the Goldust jacket with the hood up. Then he takes it off. And you see that he's not dressed as Goldust, he's dressed as the natural Dustin Rhodes. And this song starts to play, and the Titantron shows old clips of him in WCW. And as Dustin is walking to the ring, you see the look on his face. And it looks like he's holding back tears, because he's so happy that he gets to be Dustin Rhodes again. On a show called Starcade, which his dad came up with all those years ago. It's a very sweet moment, and it's on YouTube, too, so definitely check it out when you can. I'll have to check that out. Though I hear he didn't like this song all that much, but he had it for several years, so I guess he got to roll with it. Okay, Joe, we are eight tracks in, but this is not an eight-track. There is still more music left to play. When it comes to this song, I wish there wasn't more music <laughs> left to play, <laughs> but uh. I'll get to that in just a sec. 
This is track number nine, and it's the theme for Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And we all know Ricky Steamboat, an amazing wrestler who has had classic matches with guys like Randy Savage, Ric Flair, Rick Rude, lots of our names, to be honest. And far be it from Papa and Hayes to even attempt a lick of creativity with song titles at this point, because this song is just called The Dragon. Okay, uh, <laughs> so I'll call this one, Joe, and I think you would agree on it. Worst song on the album? Uh, worst song on the album, worst wrestling song ever, <laughs> maybe the worst song of all time. Here's levels. the thing, here's the thing. It's not poorly played. Technically, it's fine, but it's just so confusing to me. This is a very perplexing song for a number of different reasons. First of all, the music is primarily yacht rock. <laughs> like proper Christopher Cross, hollow notes, electric piano, smooth jazz, that kind of thing. But it's mixed with this like funky bass and these funk synth notes, those all throughout the song. It's like if Cool and the Gang was a yacht rock band. And that's a very odd mix of styles. Before we touch on the lyrics, what do you think about the music itself of this song, uh, Joe? It sounds like an 80s sitcom theme once the, <laughs> once the synthesizers kick in. It's like, yeah, yeah I guess, you know, Ricky Steamboat, uh, he's not really like a heavy metal kind of wrestler, hard rock. Like, oh, what do you do? You could have done something other than this. Because, I mean, he used to use, um, was it Serious by the Alan Parsons Alan Project? Parsons yeah, Project. Yeah, Michael yep, Jordan's yep. theme, which was just a, a fantastic Excellent wrestling song, yeah. theme at the time and then this is what you come up with it's oh it just sounds like it's not too bad to start you know if, if you run to the ring maybe you can get there before the synthesizers kick in i, I would like be hauling it every night but uh yeah then we'll, we'll get to the lyrics yeah the lyrics it's not like i can't understand the lyrics 
it's more like I can't understand why the lyrics. Because <laughs> the song is about how Ricky Steamboat loves his wife and son, and he's monogamous. That's it. He's a guy with values. He's a family man. Loves his wife and son, and does the best he can. Only wrestler that's not hard to understand. Ricky Steamboat the Dragon goes to compete in the sports world where the man's only fantasy is still the same girl. <laughs> yeah, nothing gets the, you know, preteen kids works <laughs> behind someone. Oh, don't worry, lady. Uh, don't worry. It's not because the ladies don't find him attractive. They throw themselves at him, but he's just too, uh, he's just too worthy a man to, uh, to throw away his marriage like that, too. Fame and fortune, titles he's won, but the biggest smile is for his son. Which, okay, if you want to make devoted family man part of Ricky Steamboat's character, that's fine. But there are just some character traits that don't translate to theme music. You can't just sing about any old aspect of a wrestler. Simply Ravishing is about Rick Rude being extremely handsome and vain. That works. Mr. Bang Bang is about Cactus Jack being a wild man and a loner. That works. The Natural is about Dustin Rhodes forging his own path in wrestling. That works. This song is about how Ricky Steamboat doesn't sleep with other women. <laughs> eh, one of these things is not like the other, okay? Family Man does not work as the basis for a wrestling theme, in my opinion. No, and it's like they went down this road before when he feuded with Ric Flair in 1989. Ricky would come out with his wife and his young son, and Flair would come out with a bunch of supermodels. Like, who's the crowd going to get behind here? So <laughs> they had to know this. You know, this isn't this isn't the right the right path to take. But I don't know. Oy, poor Ricky. Poor better. Ricky. Poor, poor Ricky. Here's the line that always gets me in this song. And uh, you brought this up a moment ago, Joe. I'm not saying that women don't fall all over him, but he don't give in. He's a family man. And the reason I love that line so much is because it's pretty much the exact opposite sentiment of Simply Ravishing. Simply Ravishing, it's like Rick Rude swoops in and steals all the other guys' girls because he's so handsome. With this song, it's like all these women want to sleep with Ricky Steamboat. They all want to jump his bones. But the dragon is a family man, and he stays loyal to his wife. And I think it's so appropriate that these two songs have opposing morals and opposing values because... They are on opposite sides of the critical spectrum. Simply Ravishing is amazing. The Dragon is not. And that's so appropriate, Joe. Yeah, when they feuded in 1992, I guess that really... Uh, maybe, that, maybe that was the, uh, the genesis of these themes. Up next, track number 10. And it's for Barry Windham. And Barry Windham has accomplished a lot over his career. NWA World Champion, U.S. Champion, TV Champion, Tag Champion, and a member of the legendary Four Horsemen. Later in the decade, he'll think that rap is crap and let you know it. But as of 1992, he's smoking. <laughs>
Chuck, it's Marvin. Your cousin, Marvin Boston. You know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this. So, once again, Papa and Hayes have donned their Hamburglar masks and snuck their way into the musical vault and stolen another sound from rock and roll history. Actually, it's kind of a mishmash of sounds, uh, really, because there's the obvious influence, shall we say, which is Smokin' by Boston. Smokin' is even in the title of the song. I also picked up on a few other influences, uh, one of which is LaGrange by ZZ Top. I think that song mm-hmm. is all over this one. Another one is I Know a Little by Leonard Skinner. So even more love is being shown here to the Skinner boys on this album. And yeah, it's another Southern Rock song. This one focused more on the bluesy side of Southern Rock, I think. Like, like a proper down and dirty Texas rock and blues club song. Barry Windham is another guy from Texas, and he's the kind of guy I can actually picture in a down and dirty Texas rock and blues club. So I think the two go together real well. Yeah, I, I LaGrange by ZZ Top. If you, if you don't know that song, you, you do know it. I'm sure you've heard it in a bunch of TV shows and in movies. It's pretty direct ripoff as well as the Boston song. And picked up on the other Skinner one, but I would not be surprised at all. Yeah, at this point in the album, the subject matter of the song is not new to us. Kind of, again, another mishmash, except it's with topics from earlier songs on the album. He's big and tall, lean and mean. He's a Texas fighting machine. He likes to beat people, and he likes to have fun. You know I'm talking about Barry Windham. Which, first of all, great rhyme, fun and Windham. <laughs> yeah, that's- But also the song is a mix of different motifs from other songs on Slam Jam. It's about beating people up and having fun and being tough. And at one point it brings up Barry's dad and brother. Who were in jail at the time for counterfeiting. Oh, God, really? Yeah, no, they got busted for counterfeiting in 1990. Oh, gee. All right. Yeah, I don't don't know why you go out of your way to mention that. But, But, uh, yeah, Ron Simmons, Sting... Cactus Jack, Jake, Dustin, the Freebirds. The things that they touch on in those songs are all touched on here. Um, really, the only song that isn't represented is Ricky Steamboat's theme. But uh, thank God for that, thank okay? God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they also rhyme Fist and Lariat at uh, one point, which is quite a feat. And there are two vocalists on this song, which is a little different. The second one's really screechy. But uh, this is high energy. It it gets its point across. So you're not going to win a Pulitzer for the lyrics, but uh, you know, it would get you pumped up to see Barry come to the ring. Yeah, I think it's pretty good for what it is. Yeah. So The time has come where we've reached the end of the album. The final track, track 11, and we're going out with a tag team theme. And if you don't like this tag team, you'll get no simpy from me, that's for sure. It's Scott and Rick, the Steiner Brothers. And I guarantee you, folks, this theme has a 141 and two-thirds chance of being the last (laughs) song played on this episode. This is Steinerized. (laughs) 
So as far as the sound of this song goes, it's very similar to a few other songs on the album. The guitar riff is quite reminiscent to Man Called Sting, especially the first half of the riff, where the guitar goes up. And I also think the song sounds similar to Master of the DDT, in terms of the genre of rock. Again, serious Tesla vibes with this one. But unlike Master of the DDT, this type of music clearly works for the Steiner Brothers. A, a, a big, hard rock song for two big, hard rocks like Scott and Rick Steiner. Just two meat mountains tossing people around with suplexes and taking their heads off with clotheslines. The only thing that makes sense here is to give them a hard rock song. Yeah, they're a, you know, they're a team that's uh, very high impact, so you need a song to match that. I think this does admirably, even if it does kind of sound kind of just like a man called Sting, but they were wise to separate them on the album and not put them back to back, so I think that works in its favor. Yeah. And much like Freebird Forever, this is another autobiographical song, and it tells the story of brothers Rick and Scott. They don't use drugs, lol, and they're always <laughs> on top, but they're high all the time on their ability. Suplex you so bad, they'll knock you to your knees. And then from there, it goes from them being in high school to being All-Americans in college, and then a world-class tag team in wrestling. And wherever they are in their careers, you know that they take on all comers, no matter what size. There won't be any questions when you get Steinerized! Steinerized! Um, besides all that, I really don't have much to say about this song, um, mainly because at this stage of the episode, I've kind of exhausted all my other talking points on other songs. Uh, it's a rock song. It sounds like other songs. It's about the wrestlers, blah, blah, blah. But I think it's a strong way to end the album with a big, meaty rock song. Yeah, I, I like the drug-free in, <laughs> in the second line. Like, I didn't ask, but thanks for clarifying. Yeah. It's also, it says you, it says you won't have any questions when you get Steinerized, but I'm curious what that means. Do you become like the Steiner? Do you wear a singlet and a, you know, a headgear now? Like Rick, it doesn't really get into that. And, um... Well, the Steinerizer uh, was the name of their finisher. That uh, Doomsday Bulldog oh, movie. Okay. It's called the Steinerizer. Oh, all so. right. All right. That's left surprisingly vague for this album, which overexplains everything else. <laughs> but so be it. I'll accept that. And uh, interestingly, I don't think they used this song in 1992 because they were gone in October yeah. of that year. I don't know if they ever used it, but they used it when they came back four years later in 1996. So they eventually got their money's worth. Yeah. Yeah. This is a this is a memorable song. I think this is another song people watch nitro will remember this one it's a little it's goofy but it, it you know a little too on the nose but it's high energy and it gets its point across though one thing about the song though uh is this line all in high school it was easy to see next stop michigan university and if i may don my neck beard for just a moment here i will interject and say um actually it's not michigan university it's university of michigan <laughs> Nobody calls it Michigan University. So that's a, uh, a faux pas on uh, Hayes and Papa's part. Yeah. That's probably a tougher rhyme. <laughs> Didn't, wasn't there like like they went to Michigan, like we're all Americans, then they did it again or something like that? I'm, yeah. That, Scott did it after Rick. I was that, that left me a little confused too. Did they flunk out of college and go back? Like uh, It doesn't really specify. That's not really germane to the song, no, I feel. No, no. 
Apparently, Scott Steiner hates this song with a fiery passion. Well, then I would never play it in his presence. (laughs) I would delete it off my phone. Maybe he heard the line, Michigan University, and flew into a rage. Yeah, he knew that was BS. He would never call it that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm picturing him giving a belly-to-belly suplex to a boombox, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was our look at the classic album WCW Slam Jam 1. The first of its kind, the first of many wrestling theme albums, WWF would eventually dwarf WCW when it came to the number of wrestling theme albums that each company put out, but you can't deny that WCW was number one when it came to putting out an album filled exclusively with wrestling themes. And, you know, going into this album, the only songs I had heard in their entirety were... Simply Ravishing, and Man Called Sting. Every other song on the album I was hearing outside of a wrestling show context for the first time. And honestly, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed myself listening to this album. I found myself digging most of the songs. Now, obviously, the album does have some flaws. Uh, Not every song is a killer track, you know? Uh, The Dragon is a standout (laughs) stinker on this one. Obviously, the lyrics are not great either. That's a given. And comparing the overall sound of the album to other albums that came out around this time, especially rock albums, the music is a bit dated, I think. This is supposed to be 1992. Grunge and thrash metal and alternative rock have blasted into the mainstream, But here you have an album that sounds like it's stuck in 1987. And that was the problem for wrestling music for many years. It always seemed like it was behind the times Mm. in a lot of ways. Now, having said all of that, there are also quite a few positives with this album. I appreciate the fact that Jimmy Papa and Michael Hayes and the rest of the musicians didn't just stick to one style of music for the album. They understood that wrestling is all about variety, and they made efforts to do different styles. Hard rock, hip-hop, dance R&B, country, southern rock, 50s rock and roll. And their attempts were, by and large, successful. The Natural sounds like a country song. Simply Ravishing sounds like a dance R&B song. Johnny B. Bad sounds like a 1950s rock and roll song. I also think a lot of the song's genres fit the wrestlers that they belong to. And I really appreciate the fact that, for the most part, they wrote more than one verse for a song. They didn't pull a CFOs and just repeat one verse and one chorus ad infinitum for five minutes on all the songs. A lot of the songs have multiple verses which I think is another key difference between the old way of writing theme songs and the new way. So WCW Slam Jam gets a thumbs up from me. There are a bunch of fun wrestling themes on this album, and even the songs I didn't like as much didn't sour me on the rest of the album. What about you, Joe? Anything else on Slam Jam? Did your perception of this album change in any way? when listening to it with a more critical ear. Uh, what are your final thoughts on Slam Jam? No, I don't think listening to it critically changed anything, because its flaws are apparent when you listen, and even those flaws are somewhat endearing in a way. So nothing changed in my mind. It does take me back to, you know, 
those days of early 90s WCW and all the syndicated shows and hearing these songs and bringing back memories. So it affected me on that level as well. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mat. Thank you so much for listening. And Joe, thank you so much for being here. This was an absolute blast. If you want to plug anything, go right ahead. I'll just say um, I will make note the next five-star match game, I guess our first year anniversary show, coming out in uh, July, so this month. And it's going to be about early 90s WCW. Hey, how about 90s, that? 90s uh, up until Nitro is the... Uh, the so a lot of fun stuff on there. I have guests lined up. Just got to finish writing the show. So look for it in July. Twitter? Oh, Twitter uh, is just uh, Joe Gagne, G-A-G-N-E. Follow me there. It's a good time. Cool. Cool. And Music of the Mat is part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, home to some amazing wrestling podcasts like the Five Star Match Game, of course, but also Shake Them Ropes, Lucha of the Hidden Temple, Everything Evolves, Open the Voice Gate, Sarah and Sarah, Brit Rez Roundtable, and plenty more. Check them all out at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at MusicOfTheMet. Also, follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. Go to the Voices of Wrestling forum to find the YouTube playlist for this and all past episodes. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com slash forum. And of course, if you listen to the show on iTunes... Leave a nice five-star rating and review. Of course, you can also check us out on Google Play, Spotify, your own podcast player, what have you. Joe, like I said, this was a ton of fun to do. This was amazing. It's always great talking to you about wrestling or music or whatever. And I can't wait to do this again sometime. All right. I'm, I'm always around, trust me. <laughs> and I know where to find you. All right. For Joe Gagne, I'm Andrew Rich. I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.